0: Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 1.5 of Osu! Exploitation with me, your host Thomas Rosilio, but you can call me Tommy. I'm just here by myself today chilling and hanging out and um yeah, I got some bonus content that I wanted to share with you guys. First of these is um what is a 1.5 or 2.5 or 3.5 or whatever. Well, this is just a good time for me to talk about any additional content I didn't get to cover in the main episodes. So, for example, in this one, I'll be talking about um, some of my comments on race that I did not fully flesh out in the first episode, as well as related material to uh, Sw- sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and Paul Schrader's book, Transcendental Style, uh, specifically the Ozu section. But yeah, it's just really for anything and anything related to the film. I'll expand a bit on my thoughts maybe that I didn't get to touch on, but don't expect one of these every week. Um, They're just more sort of in between while I just have nothing else to do and find other content related that I think is interesting. So yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I probably won't be doing one um, for 2.5, but I definitely will be doing one for 3.5 for reasons that'll become clear um, by the time episode 3 comes out. I also wanted to mention that based on how my schedule is throughout the rest of the summer and then once I get back to school I might occasionally have to take breaks and uh, at the end of an episode where it seems like I'm not going to be able to post within the next week or so, I'll probably just say a little thing where it's like, hey, not going to have time to record a full episode because there's a little bit that goes into it. I watch both films with somebody, we take notes, etc. We talk about what we want to talk about that's uh that's pretty much how it'll be handled and just in general this is kind of going to be a thing where i don't really know where the specific end of this might be uh i really want to get up to 20 episodes at least but it's kind of an indefinite commitment where there's only so many ozu films uh and interesting uh black exploitation films to cover i mean of course i could like watch and talk about these all day but there are some that I feel like I would just be repeating myself after a while, and that doesn't really make for interesting content. So, I'm not going to do it for any longer than it feels natural to. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about on today's schedule is race, as I mentioned earlier. So, there's no easy way to say this, but um, I'm not African American or Black or Japanese or Japanese American. I am a white boy from the suburbs, and... As such, I really do not have all of the knowledge on, you know, Japanese culture or the intricacies of modern black life or, you know, historical struggles uh, black people have faced in this country, as well as Japanese people, actually, now that I think about it. But with that said, I want to just clarify that I don't really seek to, hmm, how do I put this? I don't really seek to infantilize or sort of fetishize either of these art forms. I think it's important for me personally to take this podcast as sort of like a learning experience, if you will. I don't really seek to represent either culture. I don't really plan on doing that because I never really properly could ever. Um, At least me personally now there might I I really hope that there will be guests on here from um, Not just not really from Japan maybe from Japan. That'd be nice, but you know Japanese Americans or at least somebody who uh, Is more knowledgeable about Japanese culture than I am um, that has something interesting to offer about the way Ozzy depicts it And I really really hope somebody from the African American community in the US or anywhere else shows up on one of these episodes as well to talk about you know how meaningful one of these movies might be to them um i don't want to i don't want to come away like fetishizing it um like i said where i have this sort of one idea of it and i'm appreciating it from this angle and putting black artists in a corner as it as it were um and just sort of not really appreciating it the way it was supposed to be appreciated like, I don't want to be like, <laughs> like a weeaboo or <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent would be for like African Americans. I don't want to have this impression of it that's just childlike. I want to really grapple with each of these movies I talk about, and I want to say, "Oh wow, how exotic and strange these are!" Ha ha ha! Sweetback, isn't that a weird movie? No, I legitimately. I legitimately loved it and respected it for being such a impactful and powerful work of art. I know maybe in the original review I did, it kind of seemed like I was laughing at a bit of it, but that was just more the visceral reaction it gave me. I Underneath that, I just genuinely, I genuinely loved it. I, I want to recognize each film I cover as a genuine expression of human emotion as well as a learn to appreciate the culture the cultural specific stuff but the last thing i want to do is uh, end up saying something that completely (laughs) misinterprets um specific cultural value and is offensive the real purpose of this podcast is for is is kind of twofold well threefold really because you know part of it is (laughs) the gimmick so to speak of me taking the two farthest apart art forms and seeing what could possibly be compared for both, you know, analytical and entertainment purposes. Um, On one level, it's about me personally growing and learning more about different kinds of art I have no idea about and using that not not just as a gateway into the cultures I'm looking at, but also into the aesthetic value of it. Like the these artists made great art and they deserve to be recognized for it. And I I just want to learn about it, really. And the other purpose is to sort of a spread appreciation for both kinds among my peers. Because they both deserve to be appreciated and both of them, they're older genres, not a lot of people still talk about them unless you're in certain film circles or you're more, taking more of a historical approach to it in terms of like how it influenced and was influenced by what was happening at the time. I should use my position as, you know, somebody with white privilege to spread appreciation of black art, Japanese art among, you know, the white community that might not know of these things and just really try to promote better cultural understanding. Of course, like I said, not in a way where I'm like claiming to speak for Black community, but more just me trying to nudge white people that might have preconceived notions about different forms of art. Is it's all too common nowadays where somebody will, not well, just actually not just nowadays, but in, but in general, it's all too common where you know a typical white person will just see an Asian movie or a black movie and be like, "Ew!" And I I I just want to tell them you're wrong. There is something. To appreciate here there is value in going back and watching these movies even if you're not of that culture i think most people would still get something out of them it might not come off like this a lot because i'm sort of doing it more in an entertaining fashion in some episodes although some might be educational like our next one i don't i don't want to just make something that's vacuous or laughing at black art or japanese art and just want to make something that shows that we can all come together over certain things and appreciate them as they are. So yeah, that's um specifically what I have to say about that. And you know, I hope I overcome my own sort of preconceived biases I may have without even knowing through doing this. Um, that That's also really important to me as well, because I'm always sort of striving to be better and reflect on certain notions I might have, like Like well, without like I said, without even noticing, and just real quick, I want to say this almost goes without saying. I feel like I feel like this is easy to sort of interpret from my tone so far, but obviously, so obviously, guys, Black Lives Matter, and they always have, and they always will, and because they're human lives, okay, they're human lives. The sort of turmoil that's going on in the country right now is. I'm glad, on one hand, that we're finally taking the time uh, as a nation to rally behind Black people, but man, has it come way too late. This should have already been done and away with decades ago. But I'm can I say I'm surprised that it's taken this long either? No, <laughs> I, I know I've met so many people, so many people that I thought were nice who, in my when I was growing up, I should say who i who i was surprised to learn had these sort of feelings about black people or asian people or hispanic people yeah that really that really changed my perspective on a lot of things i hope to actually touch on that a lot in this podcast because i don't want to i do not want to remain ignorant of current day social issues and how obviously some of these films will relate to them i think we even talked about it in sweetback where you know it's this paranoid hellish nightmare that white supremacy has put sweet back into as he's being pursued by all these cops. But yeah, I would suggest if you are a racist, <laughs> just don't do it. I know that doesn't solve the problem, but I mean, it would be pretty nice to take down the racist and classist power structure we all live under tomorrow, but you know, what can you do anyway? I have something else to talk about, a couple more things to talk about, actually, on this little mini-episode, and the first of these is the biopic, Badass, all caps, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, directed by Melvin Van Peebles' own son, Mario Van Peebles, about the making of Sweet Sweet Sweetback's badass song. Um, Yes, it is the same Mario Van Peebles that starred as his father, uh, as his father's character, I should say. In that one particular sex scene in *Sweet Sweetback*, yes, he's all grown up now, and he's come back to tell us about his dad and um, how he got his movie made. And it's a it's a really good movie um, for the most part. And 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 I want to use this as sort of a springboard for the things we didn't talk about during *Sweet Sweetback*. Um, mostly I'm referring to the actual production of the film, which was pretty insane based on both of what I've read, um, since then and, uh, what I, what was shown in the movie. I didn't really get into that so much when we were just talking about it because we, we decided beforehand we wanted to talk about our specific reactions to the film because we were like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. So yeah, I think I'll, I think I will, I think I will use that time now. To talk about some things i found really interesting about the making of this movie so yeah i'll just go through the movie and review it um, like i was reviewing a normal movie and from there just talk about specific parts of the production that come up as the movie goes along so most of the movie is nowhere near as stylized as sweet Sweet sweep x badass song although there are still kind of, like, twinges and references to the original and the form here and there. It's far more naturalistic for what it's worth, uh, kind of a standard biopic in that way, but it doesn't really fall into any of the sort of cliches you see from all those terrible biopics that come out today, Uh, and I really appreciate that for several reasons, because one, you're talking about one of the most radical filmmakers to ever make a movie, and not just that, but he was one of the ones that influenced, like, literally a generation of filmmakers. Um, and two, because it's just such an insult to a lot of historical figures, I feel, to not take an interesting look at their lives um, in terms of the form. Uh, but what really informs this movie is the fact that it's from the perspective of Mario Van Peebles, his son. So you get to see how he viewed his dad... Uh, during the making of this movie and how he views him now a lot of the movie is actually mostly him trying to reconcile how he felt at the time about his dad with all the sacrifices his dad had to make to get the movie made Uh, Melvin Van Peebles in this movie um, the character is (laughs) is really a hard ass like he is just constantly challenging people and putting His family on the back burner and kind of even like misusing his family and his friends trust and burning all of his money just to get this movie made and it's really sort of sad with all these different characters telling him he can't do this he can't do this and he's constantly just trying to do this one thing just because he knows in his heart that it will make a difference to not just him but also tons of black people he knows and the the movie begins kind of right after he's finished watermelon watermelon man and he's talking to execs about how the movie was a success and so you actually come into a picture where you know the main character's got it really he's pretty much just like good to go he's like already won the day in some ways but uh very quickly they show he feels sort of unsatisfied about his work on watermelon man so he embarks on doing this really ambitious independent film that would become sweet Sweetback. he doesn't really know the name of it at first but he gets the inspiration for it when he's driving through the desert and that's yeah, that's what happened in real life too he was driving through the desert with his son and the idea of just a, of a black man escaping from white power structure through the desert to mexico just occurred to him So yeah, seeing a character who is somewhat, air quote, somewhat content, put it all on the line and risk it all is, you know, a really interesting path for a movie to take. Uh, You feel like at any time he could really just be utterly burning his life down, even though you know... sweetback was a success not just a success it was actually one of the top 10 movies of that year according to the movie at least but yeah so most of the movie is just him making sweet sweetback's badass song the first part of the movie is him going around to these different uh financiers trying to get help making it then the next part is him you know actually shooting it producing it all the troubles he ran into etc then the last part is him editing and trying to get the film shown in theaters and how nobody wanted to show it at first but then it was a smash hit um i should say this is a spoiler discussion so yeah you like i said you mostly see this from mario van Peebles' perspective where in all the scenes where he as his father is talking to his stand-in of him as a kid you kind of see him just constantly take it really hard on him and you you really empathize with the young Mario Van Peebles who's asked kind of the world of his father and is just constantly used and not really in a bad not like a like a really awful way like he's just used um, in a way where it's the service his dad's ego almost and not from not like a like his dad is egotistical it's more in the way that at the time when he was a kid he probably wouldn't even understand why his dad was doing this why his dad was yelling at him and making him do this sex scene uh etc etc so you really you really just get right off the bat you know oh his father left this sort of bad impression on him as a kid and he's trying to understand his dad and the sacrifice he made for not just for him but for all black people but yeah what really helps us along what i was saying before about it being an untraditional biopic is both that um connection you have with Sweetback, uh, not Sweetback mario <laughs> mario van peebles to his father and the fact that you instead of really getting like this straightforward plot it's a bunch of different scenarios that kind of collectively lead toward this ultimate finale. Um, there's still, you know, of course, like a, a plot, like in any other movie, um, but it's it's more sort of just different parts of the process being shown. And that's actually kind of one of the major flaws of this movie. Uh, we always get these little scenarios that happen, but we never really explore them well enough for them to be, like, fully flesh out it feels like a lot of scenes end too soon with fades and then some narration from uh, Melvin Van Peebles to take you into the next scene where you can see like all these different shots of the scene continuing as he's talking which kind of makes me think part of this got either cut for time or budget I'm not necessarily sure which um, but I feel like there was just like parts missing there wasn't I didn't see the full creative process for example there's a part later on in the movie where he's editing it and the other editor comes in and quits right there and Sweetback, you know really gets angry and punches him uh, they're in the middle of the editing process not even anywhere close to done and it just suddenly like everybody stops talking as the narration comes over and it says I didn't know if I'd ever get the film done but I did and I was a bit like, what? I, 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 I'm unsure of like what the exact sort of result of certain things was intended to be. Is It supposed to be us just kind of seeing how he finished Sweetback and all the different trials and tribulations he had to go through, which it seems like that's the implication. But then why not show him... Do, why not show that process more in depth? I really I really would have liked to see actually more of it um, going through, but instead we have we have just a couple scenes of him working on it and not really any sort of exploration of it in too much detail. Um, but it's just during one of these scenes we get some one of the more interesting sort of characteristics of the film where he's working on the movie so hard that part of it actually leaks into real life. And starts like affen- affecting his mental state, where like the camera sort of f- fizzes out and goes into like '70s uh, quality grade um, independent mode, and there's like a filter over it, and that's really fun. I I love I love those touches. I wish that we had seen that more tied into him actually making it just a personal preference. Uh but yeah, I love seeing those those moments all throughout the film where it kind of breaks with reality for a second and that really they really add a lot to the experience such as the part when he's in a bed and there's a child wearing angel wings sitting on the ceiling upside down kind of bringing into us into what Melvin Van Peeble's headspace was like at the time or the parts where he's talking to Um, His alter ego manifested in the real world as Sweetback, who's constantly, like, discouraging him, telling him he's doing everything wrong, just like all the other people in his life. I really like touches like that because they really get us to explore the character a bit more and also are just, you know, fun choices you can do with a film. And I wish more biopics would do things like that. There's also a really great shot earlier on where he's standing by a mirror Um, that's sort of implied to be in a house um, with all these pictures on it um, on the sides and he walks up to it then walks away from it and the camera reveals that on the other side of the mirror there's like like a street of sorts where people are walking around and he walks into it back away from the mirror but we're zooming into the mirror and eventually the camera passes where the mirror is so that was a great moment that told us that he was stepping back from the sort of fantasy of Hollywood into the real world from which he would derive inspiration for his new film. At least that's what I personally interpreted it, interpreted it as. Of course, I could be wrong, but you know. But anyway, yeah, so let's get into the scenarios themselves. Most of it, like I said, are scenarios and that's where you get the most interesting tidbits about Sweet Sweetback. The first thing you that's revealed the first thing that's revealed is that he included the end text at the end of the movie where it sort of flies up onto the screen as sort of a subversion of westerns which is pretty clever considering how westerns were a white dominant genre where the white man was always shown as a hero and of course now he's sort of creating his own meta-urban western of sorts that ends in the desert and uh yeah that's a really creative way of looking at it i felt like that added a lot to the end text and Texan, why it was so abrupt, uh, as we discussed in our uh, original review of Sweetback. Um, the next, the next interesting thing I found from this movie was that they disguised Sweetback as a black skin flick, so unions wouldn't bother them, <laughs> which was pretty uh, awesome. So basically, they do this in the movie because Melvin Van Peebles wanted to use a fifty percent. Uh, third World crew, as he puts it, and the unions would have just totally walked on him if he had done that. So this was like completely independent from even um, SAG actors, people who worked in the industry professionally for the most part. I'll get to that in a second, but yeah, it was it just really added a lot to the mythos of how he came from absolutely nothing. Um, and of course, Clyde Houston is the guy he comes into contact with to disguise it as a porno because he is a porno producer himself um, and in a very funny moment he only agrees to finance Sweetback be because he says that um, the characters will be wearing clothes in it <laughs> which is a pretty good moment and it, it serves to sort of show him as someone who's also caught up in this system where he has to create crap just to get by uh, he's not really being true to himself as an artistic person he's not able to express like who he is as a black person through his films as well similarly to sweet not sweetback sorry I keep saying that Melvin Melvin van Peebles it's hard to get them it's easy to get them mixed up because the two are so close together in terms of how you see them culturally because you know he played him after all and and this they only reinforce that with him speaking to his alter ego who is sweetback another discovery I had during this movie was that Sweetback does have lines in the, in the film, um, which actually ends up being a major part of the plot because they end up not casting the actors that show up for the role because they either couldn't look the part or they couldn't act convincingly. So that's a pretty interesting tidbit right there. It's more just sort of about all the different people he meets who help him create this movie and how they each react to him like his friend Bill who emboldens him at first to go talk to investors and make this movie He's kind of like a peace and love hippie dippy kind of guy then there's um t played by terry cruz who is a really militant black power guy um he's very funny especially his relationship with the sound technician tommy and how that sort of unfolds throughout the movie and their dynamic where tommy's mostly this meek white guy uh, and terry is like angry that he has to take orders from a white person but then they end up bonding um so a nice little character arc right there and then at the end he's like i'm gonna work with this guy forever (laughs) yeah pretty good character and you see really how much of a leader melvin van peebles was in this scene where he and terry or uh, terry t are talking and while they're shooting the explosion of the car he inspires t to step up and complete the film with him uh because it's you know for the betterment of their own community. Another character who I really like who has a very good uh, part in the movie is um, his secretary Priscilla uh, where she is constantly trying to act in front of him um, over and over to try to win a role but then once she gets the role she drops out because things look uncertain. Um, It's implied not because her boyfriend is telling her to. Yeah that actually leads to one of the best parts of the movie which is where they discover that she accidentally put a real gun in the prop gun case, <laughs> and they'd been grabbing guns out of there for a while now, unknowingly of the real circumstances. And that's that moment is played for last. But I have to imagine on set, everybody must have been like just totally scared out of their minds because at any moment that could have happened. And that's that's actually pretty interesting to read about as well. They didn't include this in the movie. But apparently, everybody was also armed um, on set, just in case something happened or somebody came up to them and tried to threaten them, or possibly the union tried to threaten them. And they only they only discovered this on the day that they would they were going to shoot the scene where they fired the gun off beside his pimp's head. So that could have been really bad. <laughs> and I can only imagine what the mood was on set. Then this kind of just adds a sort of the mystique and the lore of him them doing it not as professionals but just as people who genuinely wanted to really make this movie and not knowing what they were doing necessarily and I love I really love stuff like that and I'm glad they focused on sequences like that. One of the things that didn't make it in the film and that I was really disappointed was that um when they were shooting that one part with the bikers, one of them told they wanted one of them told the director they wanted to leave uh but velvin responded by telling them we, we paid you to be here you better stay we need to get this done and we only have like 20 days to shoot this movie um and then the biker uh in sort of a threat took out a knife um started cleaning his fingernails with it uh and in response van Peebles snapped his fingers and his crew came up standing there with rifles so of course the biker stayed to shoot the rest of the scene <laughs> and you know you really have to admire dedication like that to making a movie like this it's not easy to do it's it really wasn't you, you, every single moment he's just breaking down just collapsing to under the horrible stakes that he's under and one of the parts they also left out of the movie i really wanted to see this and how it plays out is that he contracted gonorrhea when filming one of the unsimulated sex scenes and applied to the director's guild to get workers comp compensation um, and then use that money to purchase more film which is also just really clever crafty he was willing to die for his art and the movie makes this very clear even if you don't see all the moments uh, that he was just he just knew he needed to get this done and it's just a testament to human achievement in a way that it was even made i, I like that they in- reinforce that throughout the movie where he's making it for a higher purpose than himself. He's not he's not making it for his own ego. He's making this because he knows that it will inspire and empower the black community, that it'll, it'll actually make a difference in people's lives, especially the ending where he comes out alive, not shot by the police. Uh, it's realistic in the fact that he gets pursued and you know pressed down on them, but this is a movie, one of the first movies, where there was a happy ending for the main black character. And I like that you're kept doubting until the very end of this will be successful. I mean, knowing what we know now, of course it'll be successful, but even once the movie gets done and edited, you're not even sure whether or not people actually like it within the sort of universe the movie creates because he's sending it to all these production companies and theaters, nobody wants it, nobody wants to play it. It gets finally played at a Detroit theater, but in between three films, and he barely convinces them to play it by itself. And then the, when the time comes for it to be shown, nobody shows up at first, except for one Black Panther that comes back later. And the theater threatens to cancel the other showings of it. And then at the very last minute, his friends show up and come to see a showing when just when they've canceled it. And then the Black Panther from earlier comes back with all of his friends and they see it and it's just constantly hanging on a thread. Um, and you really feel like how Black artists were sort of suppressed in the back in the day from even saying something political, even talking about the real Black experience that they wanted to go through. Especially something like Sweetback where you have all these strange, odd like, camera effects and angles and disorienting, off-putting choices where that sort of thing just is like, no, you can't do that. And if you are going to show black people on screen, they're either going to go through a really cliche sort of plot or just be like a side character. And usually one that just gets killed off or has to be put in place by a white person. Yeah, it's really nice to just see him overcome that and triumph and show that black art does matter. Like, this is, this is the origin story of all black art getting noticed in America. Like, for real for real because this was so successful there was of course like black art beforehand in the cinematic sense like oscar michaud for example was a great one everybody should everybody should go watch within our gates that's a great movie amazing movie everybody should see that but i digress yeah this is a landmark and it really feels like it the one other thing i want to talk about before i wrap up this movie is the fact that it cuts A lot to these interviews with people who worked on the movie except it's not them from modern day it's the actors that play them within the movie itself this is kind of overused and it doesn't really add too much to the movie it kind of feels like he was trying to break down the barrier between biopic and documentary with talking heads coming in but I don't know it just didn't really add that much in terms of their actual commentary and It feels strange that they included the actors that played the the real people in the movie because then they show the real people at the end talking about it in interview style so I was like okay why wouldn't you use the ones from the end at all? Why would you just have the actors come in and recite off what other people were saying when you have access to these other people? It was very confusing. I feel like I just, I just, that just totally went over my head. And honestly, their commentary didn't add too much to the film. It kind of just made it feel a bit like okay. I just, I was more invested in what was going on with the actual plot of Sweetback going, not Sweetback. Oh my god, of Melvin going through all these different trials and tribulations. I felt like that just kind of distracted from it. Anyway, good movie. Everybody should go see it if you've seen. Uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, or maybe even if you haven't, it's just a good story. It's actually kind of similar to Dolomite uh, Is My Name in a lot of ways, because those both focus on two black icons going through the process of making a landmark black film. You know, uh, Dolomite Is My Name is a bit more sort of biopic-ish, but a little more standard. This one is a bit more personal, and you get to see it from the perspective of somebody who is close to Melvin Van Peebles, which is what makes it interesting. Both are good. I might cover I might cover Dolomite in, is my name in the future. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, because it might relate to a certain film I'm going to cover <laughs> on one of the main episodes. But yeah, this one is really this one's really good. Check it out. Anyway, last part of the episode, I wanted to discuss a really good book written by Paul Schrader. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. It's transcendental style and film. Wanted to talk about the Ozu specific parts, and yeah, that's just a really good book if you want to understand Ozu better, or if you really, if you want to understand Bresson or Dreyer better. Um, I feel like I got something out of it. It's not necessarily like the be-all, end-all book for Ozu, but it's a great starting place because there's a good, solid. 40 pages dedicated to discussing Ozu and his films and how it related to his culture and then how it ultimately related to his, as Trader calls it, transcendental style. Most of the best discussion in here doesn't come from him talking about how Ozu is related to the transcendental style, however. A lot of the best analysis comes from him discussing Ozu's attempts to fuse modern filmmaking with zen art with how man and nature can become one between each other uh, in film, we're all sort of united through um, our relationship to the environment. One of his best observations that really changed a lot of my perspective on Ozu, although I I, I think I already kind of got this a bit already from his movies, was the sort of autumnal passing of the seasons, changing of the world feeling you get from his movies he describes this feeling as a mono no aware. I I feel like I messed up the pronunciation that aware. Aware. Just let me know if that was wrong or right. I really want to know how to pronounce this. I should have looked this up, but I did not. (laughs) So yeah, with how, which means basically um, a sympathetic sadness linked to nostalgia of a kind. And that's what you really sort of get out of all of his movies is the sympathetic sadness watching these families deteriorate over time pass into the next life both in terms of them dying and of characters moving on to marriage or to discover what else is out there for them i also like how he frames the zen argument where he says the person or thing being in frame across a background isn't about the person or thing it's they inform the sort of space around them without them it's just uh, not empty but lacking that presence um, and with them the empty space that's left takes on more to fill up this space entirely would be to take away its power its importance its uh, presence as it were in the movie it would unbalance things and distract from the ultimate peace we try to come to with life and I found that perspective really interesting at least that's that's what I think he's saying um, he gets into a lot of different things um, all of them really interesting but yeah that's what I personally got out of it great book I won't talk too much about it because I feel like you should just go and read it it's for if you're a student it's free on jstor.org org. Um, and if you are not a student i don't know what to tell you man become one go back to school go to community college just to get access to this book because it's really good maybe maybe you should know a little bit about a little bit about film theory before you read this because it would certainly help a lot to reading into what he's talking about and the version i read had a really nice added intro about rethinking transcendental style discussing where transcendental style has gone since he wrote this book and how it's influenced slow cinema Uh, and all these different filmmakers anyway i had a great time i hope you did as well i just made an instagram page um it's called at ozusploitation of course it's called at ozusploitation and i am trying to post there pretty much every day every other day um just a little something something just maybe thoughts on something i don't know what i really want to do with it yet but yeah just go and check it out yeah i'll catch you guys next time Bye bye